In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Well, welcome to the show. I'm the real Jason Duncan, and I'm glad that you're joining me again today for another episode where we talk with super successful entrepreneurs. The idea here is that I've got this theory that there are these five keys to success that every entrepreneur uses to get to success. And today is another one of those days where I've got a phenomenal, phenomenally successful entrepreneur sitting across the table from me that you're going to meet in a moment who's got a great story, and uh, you're going to learn from him on how he did what he did so that you can do what you do and be able to experience the life of an entrepreneur because I think that's what we all, all want. I think that's what you guys want, right? So that's what you want. So we're, we're shooting this. Actually, if you're listening to the audio version on any of the podcast players, I first of all, thank you for tuning in. I would love for you to leave a five-star review if you think it's worth five stars. If you don't, send me an email and we can talk about what I need to do to make it better. But uh, if you're not watching this on YouTube, I want to encourage you to go to YouTube. We, um, we, po- we, we produce this and edit it out for YouTube as well. We shoot it here in, at the Matador Room and the standard, at the Standard at the Smith House in Nashville. So you can go to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C for channel slash The Real Jason Duncan. Or you could just search on YouTube, The Root of All Success. So I want you to go check that out. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe to the channel. I appreciate that very much. And as I said, we're shooting this live. And if you're watching this on YouTube, we're in the Matador Room at the Standard at the Smith House in downtown Nashville. It's 18,000 square feet of Southern sophistication and style. One of the top five cigar bars in the country and one of the best steakhouses you'll ever visit in your life. I had some friends I brought here for dinner the other night. They had not eaten here. And uh, we actually ate dinner in this room. And, and one of the guys said, my fork just fell through my steak. And that is a good steak, my friend. So you need to come check it out. If you ever come to Nashville, make sure you look me up. You can follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn at the Real Jason Duncan. We can connect and maybe bring you here. We're honored to be syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network. So wherever you're listening, C-Suite Radio Network has helped us get there. So make sure you reach out to them and thank them for doing these great podcasts like mine and others that they syndicate uh, internationally through their podcast network. So before we get into this, I do have an episode sponsor I want to tell you about today. And uh, if you're an entrepreneur, which I assume that you are because you're listening to this show, uh, you know how hard marketing is to figure out and how much money you have spent on wasting dollars on marketing. I mean, I've wasted thousands and thousands of dollars on marketing. It didn't work. Well, I've got a coaching client that I work with who worked with this marketing company and their work was so fantastically amazing. I just had to reach out to them. And the company is named Eight Bend Marketing. That's the number eight, Bend Marketing. And words are powerful. Words are uh, so, words are what make up 
how we want to buy things, how we want to engage with a product or a service. And so making sure you get those words right in marketing is really, really good. And I think the best thing that I experienced through 8Bend was that they were able to put messaging together for my client in a way that made it so clear. I understood exactly what they were doing and what my, my client's company did that I had to reach out to them. So that's how I found out about them. They worked for one of my clients. I reached out and said, I want you to do work for me. So I want you to reach out to 8Bend. 8Bend is a fantastic company. I've met the owner and his team, and they are just a phenomenal company that will do messaging for you in a way that you can't even imagine. Make sure you get your words right. You can go to www.8bend, that's the number 8-B-E-N-D, 8bend.marketing slash root for a special offer. It's 8bend.marketing slash root, as in root of all success. For a special offer, talk to those guys. They're amazing. Their messaging is so good. It's so clear. Don't waste your money with anybody else. Go see 8bend marketing. Let them know you heard about them here on the root of all success. All right, let's move on. Let's get into our guest today. So uh, from founding one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, uh, and growing it to over $10 million in revenue to creating a premier landscaping marketplace. My guest today has an eye for growing and scaling businesses. And he's a co-founder of a company called GreenPal, which we'll talk a little bit about, which has over 100,000 active users right now. And he does uh, thousands of uh, transactions every single day. He was, uh, his company was called the Uber of Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine. And that's uh, to be noticed by that magazine is an important thing. He's a business growth expert. He prides himself in, in kind of taking business from zero to profit. And he's done that several times and he's gonna share his story. So please join me in welcoming Brian Clayton to the root of all success. So Brian, thank you for being here, my friend. Hey Jason, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So I, I gotta tell this story. So we've, <laughs> we, we, we got connected and somebody said, you ought to have Brian on the show. And we live kind of local to each other even though we don't know one another. And uh, I booked you for the show. And then the, like the day before, you're like, oh, oh, I'm in, I'm in South America. I thought this was going to be a Zoom. I'm like, no, man, I do these in live in person. But you, you are traveling the world lately, man. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, uh, it, was, it was like in December here, and it was just way too cold in Nashville. I said, I got to get out of here. So I just started looking at flights, and I just booked a flight down to uh, Panama, and it ended up in Colombia, and I stayed down there for about four months. So, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I just turned uh, 41. So at, at this stage of the game in my, in my journey, world travel is like a big passion of mine. I've been traveling for like three years. I've seen something like 50, 60 countries in the last few years. And I really just love it. I, I just love being able to do it. And I think 20 years of business has enabled me to do that. And that's really looking back, I'm like, man, I sure am glad I put in the work two decades ago to get to this point today. Yeah, well, that's, I think if, if, uh, if, I, if I'm reading the audience right, Entrepreneurs who are listening to this show and listen to shows like this one, they're looking for, like, how do we, how did we do, how do we get there to do what these people do? And so you built these companies, and now you can just say, you know what, I'm going to head to South America for a few months and and just live, and that's yeah. the that's the payoff for all of the hard work on the front end. But and you did it through landscaping. Now, <laughs> I think that every single entrepreneur has some sort of landscaping company in their back ground like I did. Yeah. I had one. That was the first company I ever sold. Right. I bought one. I didn't sell it for probably for what you sold yours for, but $10 million a year in landscaping, dude. I think there's uh, there's correlation between the less 
the least sexy, the least, least glamorous your business, the better your chances of success. And so that's certainly been the case for me. You know, I've spent 20 years in one industry, and I've seen it from every angle you can see it from. And uh, the, I guess the least glamorous, the, nobody's going to steal it from you. You can just you stay working on it as, hard, as long as you want, work as hard as you want, and you will achieve success. And uh, landscaping business is a great business because it, there's principles and fundamentals that apply to the lawn care business that apply to all business. You know, it, you know things about self-reliance and you know if it's going to be, it's up to me and, and organization and just customer service. All these things you can learn in the lawn mowing business. So when did you start uh, your first business, the landscaping business? When did you start that? Yeah, I was drug kicking and screaming into uh, entrepreneurship by my father. He came in on a hot summer day. I was playing Super Mario World. And he said, <laughs> he said, get off your butt. You've got a job to do. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And he made me go cut the neighbor's grass. And something about that just stuck with me. I, I made 20 bucks, and I was just hooked. I was like, what do you mean I don't have to hit up my parents for, for cash anymore? I can just mow yards and get all the money I want. And it was just awesome. And I remember the first thing I did, I went back to my my computer room in the house and I and I uh, I made up some flyers uh, on uh, Microsoft Word and uh, and passed those all around the neighborhood and I had like 15 customers by the end of that first summer and I just stuck with this little lawn mowing business all through high school all through college I put myself through school mowing yards and when I graduated college I had to make a decision was I going to take a pay cut and go into the job market or just stick with this lawn mowing business and I didn't really want to be a lawn guy my entire life. I, it's not what I went to business school for, but I thought, hey, let's just see what, see how far we can take this thing. And, and uh, you know, luckily I grew up in Middle Tennessee, growing uh, communities. You know, I grew up in Murfreesboro, and it was just growing like like wildfire. And so I could see, okay, well, you know, if I could triple or quadruple this thing, I might have a real business. And and so over a 15-year period of time, just little by little grew that into one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee and got it over 10 million in revenue, over 150 employees. And in 2013, the business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the country. So it's a hell of a journey growing that thing from just me and a push mower to me and like 80, 90 trucks going out every day. That is amazing. So how old were you when your dad pulled you off the Nintendo and said, go do this? <laughs> I was probably like 14, 13, 14 years old. And, uh, and I remember I could barely push the dang, the dang mower, but um, he, 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 he did me a huge service by making me get started. And then also, I'll never forget when I got done, he inspected the job. He did quality control, took me around and said, now nah, you missed this spot, you missed this spot, you missed this spot. So, I mean, there's no telling how different my life would be had he not done that for me, uh, had he not forced me to go, to go learn how to, what it feels like to work for yourself and what it feels like to be in control of your own destiny. I learned that really early on. I've never had a boss, never had a job. Always worked for myself. Is your dad still with you today? Yeah, yeah. And he and every now and then I'll, I'll like I'll share this interview with him, and he's like, "Oh, okay, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for mentioning me." <laughs> <laughs> well, the, part of part of my kind of theory about the the keys to success includes knowing the right people, and yeah. and you know you never know who that person's going to be. For you, obviously, it's your dad, and there are probably other people along the way. But I'm going to tell you, there's I've sat I've sat across this table from a lot of super successful entrepreneurs, and I've got another entrepreneur who whose story will be released on a podcast. Uh, by the time this one is out, it will have already been out. But he is in a again a service business, and as we had went through this podcast, he it was his dad, like it was his dad, and 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 I don't think he I think he knew it, but didn't realize how important that push that his dad gave him 
like led him to millions of dollars in revenue and, and just a life that he would never imagine. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And, and uh, as a dad of a kid, or two kids, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that even forcing people to do stuff <laughs> can turn out good because sometimes, you know, as sometimes a dad, you wonder. you're like, I, I don't know <laughs> if this is going to work. So, so let's start, we started at the beginning. We talked about 13, 14-year-old dads coming to you and say, hey, man, you got to get out there and mow the yard. And, and it clicked for you. All right, it clicked. And then you grew this thing to be one of the largest companies in the state of Tennessee doing lawn care, 150 employees, $10 million in revenue, got acquired. Um, curious about the acquisition. Was that something you were looking for or did it just kind of show up? Yeah, you know, ideally you work a five-year exit plan on, on these things and you and you plan it out and you groom the business for sale and you build it in such a way where it's it, it's it's an easy pickup for somebody. That's not the way it... it, it uh, um, turned out for me. I, I didn't plan on selling that company. I was building it for a lifetime. Uh, I was building it for me to run forever. That was my identity. It was, it was, it was what I did. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks one day that my business is the thing that causes me to level up. It's the thing that's causing me to challenge, to, to, to be challenged, to do new things, to, to, to get things done that I've never done before. And, and, I, and I realized I had hit a plateau, and I had been at that plateau for a couple years. So it took a couple years for me to figure this out. And, and I just made the decision one day. I said, you know what? I've taken this thing as far as I can. Uh, it's no longer at a point where it's challenging me. Like I'm not experiencing new levels uh, in the journey here. I need to, I need to look at exploring an exit, exploring uh, selling this company. And it wasn't like driven by some profit windfall. It wasn't driven by anything external other than that conversation I had inside my head. And I, from the day I had that kind of internal thought to the day I got the company sold was almost a little over two years. And so, and so that was tough because you made the decision you want to sell the business and then you're going through all of these things to get it ready to sell. And, and uh, it's hard because your passion is no longer in the business and you, you, uh, you, you're, not, you're not all, you're, your heart's not in it. And it's, so it's, it's difficult kind of operating that way. And so I, I, I found a good broker that helped me kind of groom the business and helped me generate the, the, the interest in it. And so it took about a year and it took another year to get the deal done. And uh, if I could have done it differently, I, I would have read a book called Built to Sell uh, and then started the process. That book is a really good book for anybody that's wanting to sell their business. It just kind of maps it all out for you. Uh, but I didn't have that book, so I was kind of learning as I went. <laughs> and and uh, we got the deal done. And and after that, I retired. I didn't have to work anymore. It was nice. I, I didn't have to I didn't have to go into an office. It was just really liberating. But then I got really bored, and I thought, oh wow, something's missing. I need to get back in the game, and that's what teed me up for my second business. Well, before we get into the second business, I'm really I'm really encouraged to hear your story about the about the plan for the exit because I think so many entrepreneurs, and you can tell me if you if your experience is kind of the same and what you know in the entrepreneur space, is that they they start out. They some, sometimes they're accidental entrepreneurs. Like I was an accidental entrepreneur. I didn't really plan. It just kind of happened. But then others plan the entrepreneurship. They start these businesses and then they wake up at some point in the future. It could be two years or 10 years. It doesn't matter when it happens. And they're like, wait a minute. I, 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 this, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Right. I didn't intend to start a job. I wanted right. to start a company. Right. And one of the things that I teach my clients when I do coaching is I teach that at the very beginning, man, you got to plan for your exit. Like Absolutely. day one, you got to start thinking at some point, uh, in your case, Brian Clayton's not going to be involved in this business yeah. and you've got to set the business up. There are certain things you can do to, to arrange that. Now, what you sold the business for, we're not going to disclose cause that's not, that's not anybody's business, but 
had you planned day one, that that exit might have looked different or wouldn't have looked different. What oh, do you absolutely. think? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ideally you work a five, 10 year plan and you're, you're building the business in such a way where it's congruent to be acquired by a larger company. And that's not how I built the business. It was very much like a family style operation. And those are very different. And so there's, there's all sorts of decisions. Um, everything from like how you do your accounting to what, how you make decisions around what you're going to spend money on. You know, like if you're building a business for a lifetime and, you, and you're going to build it maybe to hand off to your children one day, you're going to make very long-term bets, very long-term uh, decisioning around what you spend money on. And what you don't realize is, let's say you wanted to sell that business for two years later, that's calculated on one thing and it's, and it's a multiple on your profits. And so there's all kinds of decisions you might have made that were for like maybe five or 10 years down the road that's going to affect that multiple that you're going to get upon a sale. So that is just one thing. And there, there's a hundred of those things that you don't realize until you, until you get in the, the weeds of grooming the business for sale, particularly a service-based business like that one. The other thing that, that was interesting um, was it's not an escape hatch it's not a parachute it's not something that it's like oh i just hate running this company i just want out if that's the mentality that you go into this process with you're not going to have a favorable outcome because by the i promise you by the time you get the business ready to sell you're gonna fall back in love with it you're gonna you're gonna say man this thing's kicking off so much money and it's running so smooth and now it doesn't really need me anymore and and uh, all of the problems I fixed with it now it's ready to be sold and I kind of have my having second thoughts so so it, it, your business will be at a point where it's a well-oiled machine it's making money it's got good systems in place and the f- sale of it will cause you as the entrepreneur to go through that and uh, and so you, you almost go through this weird thing where it's like, well, I really don't want to sell it now because it's in really good shape. Um, and so the, an exit plan will cause you to, to kind of get there and start the process in that, in that shape rather than like trying to like reverse engineer it like, like I did. So I'm glad you mentioned that too, because one of the things that I teach is that there's three ways to exit. You can exit financially, you can exit physically, or you can do a total exit, which includes physical and financial. And a lot of people don't know that there are options because they like you exited totally. You, right. I assume, right? So you exited, you got a big paycheck. You also weren't required to be in it. Maybe, maybe a little bit of a earnout, but you're not in it today. You got to retire. But there are ways if you build this right, you can exit without exiting. And I don't think people realize that. Like right. you, could, you could say, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore, but send me my checks every week. Like give me my money Yeah. because I built it. And that's a great way to exit as well. Absolutely. And, and, it's, it's, you're going to get there by working a plan. You're going to get there by working a five, 10 year plan. It's not, you see, I see a lot of folks ask me for my advice on how to sell their business and I don't have the heart to tell them, oh, sometimes I do, you're self-employed. You don't have a business. You can build a business, but you gotta get out of this self-employed paradigm. You know, the job, this, this business is nothing without you. And, and to get to that point, like you're describing, where it's more passive, takes time, it's doable, but you're, you're going to have to execute a set of strategies to get there, and it's just going to take time. Yeah, I hope people, I hope, I hope the listeners will, will take notes on that because you've got, you've got to pay attention to this stuff. So many entrepreneurs are simply, they think they're entrepreneurs, but they're business owners. They're self-employed business owners, and that is a different animal from being an entrepreneur. Now, right. neither, neither one is better than the other just from a value perspective, but if you are truly an entrepreneur, you're building systems and processes for a business that doesn't need you. Right. But if you're if you're the key dude running everything, you're just a business owner. I don't think, you know, one is necessarily much better than the other, but you kind of need to know where you're at and where you're going. You yeah. know, I, I, uh, on our system, on the Green Pal system, I 
personally coach a guy that's in the lawn mowing business that it's just him. And he knows he's self-employed, but guess what? He takes every dime he can, he reinvests it into real estate. And so he's building real durable income and real durable wealth by being self-employed. And that's okay. That's yeah. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He has a lot less headaches than most business owners. And so there's no glamour in just starting a business and owning it just for the sake of, of saying you own a business. You know, there's, it's, 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 it's a hard journey. It's one of the best things you can do with your life. But there is a big difference between being self-employed and being a business owner and an entrepreneur. And knowing the difference and knowing which game you're playing helps. Unfortunately, you know, I've been there where you think you're, you're a business owner and you really just created a nice self-employed job for yourself. Yeah. So, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Brian, because I, I, that was part of my journey is that I built this business and, and it came, you know, we, we multi-million dollar status and we got recognized in Entrepreneur Magazine and Inc. Magazine. Things are going fantastic. But I woke up and was like, wait a minute, <laughs> the, what have I done here? Yeah. Like this thing requires me every yeah. single day. Right. And there's the, the value of the business is severely depleted because of that fact. So it, I did a fast track to try to figure out how to get myself out of the physical needs of day-to-day -day operation. And uh, it changed it, it changed the financial metrics for me. Had I planned it, it would have been different. But I'm glad you right. mentioned that. Because I think that I think so many entrepreneurs, especially listeners of the podcast, they just need to know those are options. Yeah. Like you can build a business, you could be a self-employed person, or you can be an entrepreneur, man. Which one do you want? Just plan it. Just do the right thing. Yeah, one book that really kind of made sense to me was uh, the Cash Flow Quadrant by, oh, yeah. by Kiyosaki and and uh, you know the guy that wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad. I mean, that's such a good book in terms of of getting you getting you to understand the difference between being self-employed, being a business owner, and 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 being employed, and being a capitalist and being an investor. And those four different quadrants and kind of where you fall into them. And, and, and you can be in multiple ones at the same time. And it's not like, I mean, I know a guy that, that uh, closed his business seven years ago and went and took a job at a fast-growing tech company. And uh, I, I was like, what are you doing, dude? You, we're entrepreneurs. You don't need to go work for the man. And now his stock is, is worth $24 million. So, <laughs> so my point is, it's like there's not one path to building wealth. It's just understanding which, which paradigm you're in and just, and just running the game in that paradigm. And then and, and, and taking money and reinvesting it to make more money, I think is, is a proven way that anybody can build wealth. And now you've taken, you, take, you took your experience for building the landscape of company to, to phenomenal heights, which I would, I would have to venture a guess that 90 plus percent of landscaping companies never even break a million or two a year, much less 10 million. So you built this phenomenal business. You exited, retired, got bored. I got to do something different. How did GreenPal originate? Like where was the genesis of that? Yeah. So that's exactly how it went down. I, I sold the business. And I took like six months off and I really thought that I was just going to lay on a beach for a few years. And I, and I did that and I was like, you know, this is not as cool as I thought it was going to be. Uh, like the biggest problem I faced this week was the bar ran out of my kind of tequila. Like that, <laughs> that was not, I am, I am wired to solve bigger and better problems than this. And so I learned, it was like a, it was like a self-discovery period where I learned about myself that my business, my company, my project that I'm working on lends me purpose in life. And, and that is what I'm seeking. I'm seeking that purpose. And so without that, there was a void. And so kind of a necessity, I, I, I was like, okay, well, I want to get back in the game. What do I do now? And I thought, okay, well, I just ran this business. It was like a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat, 150 people, 80, 90 trucks going out every day. It was really difficult running that, that company. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do something easy. So now I want to start a software company. 
And boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> I did not realize how difficult a software business was going to be. But that's fine. That, that naivete got me in the game. And I was kind of, with GreenPal, solving my own problem. I saw every day, you know, we were running a, a, a company that had a, that had a ton of trucks all over town. So we were kind of a known brand around Middle Tennessee. And every day people would call us, hey, will you come cut my grass? And we didn't do residential services anymore. Uh, they just weren't profitable for us. We did office parks, apartments, airports, things like that. But these people would still call us. And we were uh, one of our values in that company was just to always be helpful. So we would leave a, we'd keep a name, a list of, of, of names and numbers uh, by the phone. And the receptionist would always refer out uh, some smaller service providers, or maybe one, one man or one woman operators that, that were solopreneurs. They were really a good fit for that basic lawn mowing uh, service. And so what we found was we were kind of a referral network almost. And, and a lot of times those people would call us back, hey, I called all five of those people, none of them called me back. Do you have any more? And we're like, golly. And so uh, I saw that you know, manifest itself in the real world for years. And I thought, okay, an app needs to solve this problem. You know, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, they're kind of navigating this online to offline thing, making these real world transactions happen a lot smoother. So an app needs to exist for what I've just spent 15 years doing. And so the idea is like, okay, this is a really great idea. We'll just, let's just, just do this and, and, and in two years we'll be done. And, uh, and so I recruited two co-founders and none of us knew how to write software. Um, I really just recruited two guys that I trusted who also had a chip on their shoulder like I did. And, and I thought, okay, let's just go to work. And we were, we were quickly confronted with the difficulties of building a, an app when you don't know how to code. And uh, we paid a shop here in Nashville, actually across the street, uh, to build what we thought GreenPal should be. We pulled our money together. Uh, like $150,000 that we spent with this shop to build GreenPal. And it was a total unmitigated flop. It was a failure, a disaster. It, the app was clunky. It was hard to use. It didn't have the features it needed. Service providers didn't really like using it. And so, therefore, there was no really delightful experience for homeowners that were booking them. And so it was a total failure. And we were, like, confronted with the reality of, like, okay, we, just, we, just, we just wasted one hundred fifty grand on this thing. What do we do? And we at least met with as many people that used it as we could. And they were like disappointed that it didn't work. But we took that disappointment as validation. We're like, well, at least they wanted it to work. At least they wanted, they needed an app to get their lawn cut. And so we said, okay, well, let's just, let's just do whatever it takes to learn how to build software. And so the three of us started learning how to code, how to, how to build a program like this. And over a three-year period of time, we learned the skills we needed to learn to build the second version and roll out the second version. And we've been off and running ever since. So it was kind of one of those things. It was like, uh, you know, there was no looking back. They had already quit their jobs. You know, I, I had made the decision that this is what I was going to do with the next 10 years of my life. And, and uh, for me, like my personal psychology was such that I'm always going to be working on my best idea. And that was my best idea. Still is. So the only way to move is forward. And we just kept at it. And, so and what does GreenPal do specifically? Yeah, so GreenPal is like it's like the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner or a home renter and you need to get your grass cut, rather than calling around on Craigslist or Yelp or Facebook or asking friends or family for recommendations, you just download our app, pop your address in, you'll get five quotes back in less than a minute. You can read reviews on who uh, who's in your neighborhood mowing lawns and, and hire the one you want to work with. They come out and mow, you get a picture of the completed job, everything looks good, you just book them through the season uh, right on the app. And so it just kind of happens like clockwork. Ordinarily, you'd have to leave a bunch of voicemails, meet with these folks, get estimates. You'll hire one, they won't show up. 
Uh, and then, and then the, even more frustratingly, they'll show up for a little while and then they'll just drop off the face of the earth. They'll just ghost you. And so that just happens. It's like the, the case of the disappearing lawn guy. Um, we solve that. And so for homeowners, it's a nice experience. For service providers, that's really why we do what we do. We offer them kind of a business in a box. They just plug in. They get all of the lawns they want to mow. All of their route is handled. All of the billing, everything. They get paid on time. So we're kind of solving my own problem on the service, on the service provider side of the app. Is there an opportunity for Green Pal to do other services besides just lawn care? There is, but uh, we're bootstrapped, self-funded. We, we have not taken on any outside capital to, to build this company, which is kind of rare for tech companies. Usually they raise a bunch of money and then go figure it out. We've self-funded this thing off of its own revenues. And when you self-fund, it kind of constrains you to focus. You just got to focus on being the best in the world at one thing. And so for us, we have just made all of our bets on this, this one chore, lawn mowing, yard maintenance. Let's make that as easy as we can. And the reality is, is like the lawn care guy, the plumber, the HVAC guy, the roofer, the home cleaning service, they all have problems, but they're all different. And there's a hundred different problems for every one of those verticals. And so you really can't be the best in the world at all of those things. And so we've gone as deep as we can on just yard maintenance and making that as easy as just pushing a button and getting it done. Well, I, I think the they I think the story is really cool on a couple of different levels. Number one, I think you you knew from experience, your know-how, your preparation for building GreenPal came from your decade plus experience of running a landscaping company successfully and knowing what the dangers and the perils and the problems were of running that company. And then the second part of that is I love the story about hey, we hired the developer and it didn't work. And, yeah. and, and you didn't just say, you know what, screw it. I'm out. I'm not doing this. You said, listen, man, we're going we're gonna to dig in. We're going to learn how to make this happen. And that is, that's huge. That's part of the passion of running a business. And I love to hear that in your voice. So let me ask you a, a specific question because this is the root of all success. So I want to talk about success. So in your mind, uh, well, let me say first, before we go to your brain, like at, from my seat across the table, knowing you, know, experiencing you over the last several months as we've been introduced and getting you onto the show, very successful dude. From, from all appearances on the outside, looking in, very successful. But what, what do you think that word means? What does success mean to Brian Clayton? Yeah, I think in your journey, it's, not, it's, it's dynamic. Like in the early days, starting my first business, I really just had a chip on my shoulder to build something big and great and profitable. And I don't know, it could have been because I was picked on in high school. I don't know why, but I just wanted to build something that was, that was big. And I wanted the biggest landscaping company in town and the most profitable one. And so that was what success looked like in the first two or three years starting the business. But as time went on growing that business, I, I had you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 people, and I began to learn that it wasn't just about me. It was about the people that worked in the company. It was about their livelihood and about their prosperity. And so then success took on a new form. It was like, okay, this is really just about creating opportunity for these folks and like watching them put a kid through school or buying a house or buying a, a nicer car than I have or, or, or all those sorts of things. And like, that's a lot of fun. And then, and then, uh, and then success took on a different, uh, uh, um, meaning for me in terms of like challenges. Like I really wanted to prove to myself that I could do this next thing. I wanted to prove to myself that I could be a tech entrepreneur. Like, cause because I was kind of in a blue collar industry and you kind of get labeled as, as a, as you know, as kind of like a, 
like a redneck uh, wrench turner, you know, like, and, and I was, I, I, I was, I'm a pretty decent mechanic. I've worked on trucks and lawnmowers uh, my whole life. And so I kind of wanted to prove to myself that I could reinvent myself. So that's what success looked like. I wanted to become a, a tech entrepreneur. And so now these days, success looks like, okay, well, the people that use this product that I've been a part of building, like, how do they get value? And how, how does their life materially improve? And so for the service providers that use it, we've got thousands of these folks that, that have, you know, got a home out of foreclosure, put kids through school that have bought, you know, brand new trucks and trailers and lawnmowers. And we've got a Facebook group that they're all in and they celebrate these stories. That's a lot of fun. That's what success looks like today. And so I think it's dynamic, at least it has been for me 20 years in business. It takes on new shapes and forms as the journey unfolds. I love that definition because it's really kind of the, the definition that says success is when you reach the result you intended. Like at the end of the day, that's what success is. You, you set out to become the most profitable or the highest revenue or whatever, and you reach those, that's success. So the second, the follow-up question to that always, and I ask every guest this, so with that in mind, do you consider yourself successful? Like what, what's your definition of that? How do you see yourself? You know, it's always easy to look back and say, look how far I've come. You know, like this current business, we're eight-year overnight success. We're doing $20 million a year in revenue. You know, our first year we ended uh, with $5,000 in total revenue. So it's like we've come a long way. And so you're like, okay, so does it feel like we're successful you know in a way yeah we've got a great team working in the business and people that are smarter than me work in the company which is that you feel successful when you've built a team of people that are smarter than you that's that's success but still like the Jeff Bezos quote it feels like day one you feel like there's so much more territory to conquer so much more to to to, to do and so you know like on the one hand yeah I do feel successful but on the other hand like I do feel like I'm capable of doing more things. And so there's always going to, I guess there's always going to be that. Like we're doing great. We need to do even better. Well, I, I, that attitude is, is the reason you're on this show. And that because the people that sit across the table, like where you're sitting today, have that attitude. It, because if you were complacent or you just wanted a job or to be self-employed or just a business, you probably would have never reached any kind of recognition or or people noticing, hey, you, you've done something worth talking about. So I love that attitude. And I think the listeners need to pay attention to that because that there's a lot of single digit millionaires out there who are like, I'm killing it. This is all amazing. And listen, if that's what you wanted, then no, there's no shame right. or guilt or manipulation in that. But there is so much more opportunity. Right. I mean, you're doing 20 million a year. It's like, okay, that's more than most people will see in their lifetime of running businesses. But you're, you're saying I could do more. That, that's, that, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's like being grateful for where you've gotten to, but understanding there's another level. And so it's like, you don't want to be insatiable because that, I think that can lead to a pretty miserable life. So it's, it's, a, it's difficult to balance both. Right. Um, so I've had challenges with that. But the, the other thing too is like, what a time to be alive. You look at all of this, these examples of people crushing it that you can glean from and like, I can get there, you know, so-and-so just exited their company for $500 million or a billion or whatever. Like I can do that, you know, and like, oh, that's, that's what I'm anchored to. And like, we have these uh, examples in our reality and in, 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 in our orbit that can keep us leveling up. And I mean, in many ways, I think it's the best time to be an entrepreneur that we've ever known uh, because because we have all these examples. It's, it's, it's accessible and you can learn this stuff and get in the game and learn how to do it. What do you think, looking back 
if you go back to the beginning, maybe beyond the 13, 14 year old kid who was mowing grass in the neighborhood, but when you really had a legitimate business and this is a thing, is there anything looking back now you say, you could say to the listeners, if this had happened or if I had done this or whatever, that would have accelerated your success or multiplied it, you know, 10 times? You always look back because you have the, the benefit of hindsight and you know new you know well, if you're doing it right I think you're kind of reinventing yourself every five years and so you you have all of this knowledge and all this scar tissue and you can like ascribe that to what you did 10 or 15 years ago and like that could have saved me five years and so you know there's there's a hundred of those things right but one thing that does come up all the time when I'm sitting here going through these thought sequences is like it's just better delegation quicker, sooner, faster to people that are better at certain things and tasks than, than you are. And not, you know, cause like, so, 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 so I don't want somebody to listen to this and say, okay, he's saying delegate it's quick soon. Not necessarily because when I started green we delegated too quickly and it cost us 150 grand and almost tanked the business. Uh, so we delegated too quickly and we didn't understand what we were doing. And that's not how you delegate. You need to like, get some mastery of it, 80-20, mastery of whatever it is, and then you can delegate from like a stewardship standpoint. So, so being able to delegate quicker and sooner to people who are better at certain things than you, that is a thing that I've made, that's a common mistake that I've made over the last 20 years. And the other thing I've learned is it's better to hire somebody, just go to the top, hire somebody who's the best at whatever it is, CFO, uh, uh, chief of legal, HR, marketing, whatever, hire the best for whatever you can afford them for, for a couple hours a month, than hiring somebody who doesn't know what they're doing for 40 hours a week. And that's a mistake we always make as new entrepreneurs, particularly bootstrapped ones. We don't have a whole lot of money. So like, well, I can only afford the, the $30,000 a year, the $50,000 a year person. I can't afford the person that makes 200K. And that's true. And so what the problem is, we, we hire that entry level person and they're just not good. And not only that, we don't know how to coach them. We don't have a system to put them in yet. And so you're just wasting your money. And even worse, you're not moving the needle on whatever it is you needed them to do. You're better off hiring like the rock star, $300 an hour, whatever they make for like five hours a month and then let that guide everything else. And so that's a mistake that I've made a lot over the last two decades. So let me make sure I understood what you said. So what you're saying is you can't do it all by yourself and become tremendously <laughs> successful. You know, you know, in the beginning, you're going to wear a lot of hats. That's that's true. But as time goes on, you want to begin to peel your name off of some of the roles and, and delegate that to freelancers, contractors, employees, et cetera. Yeah, I got – there's a the lesson in one of my, my university courses I teach because it's called The Poison of Independence and How It Can Kill Entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And the paradox of entrepreneurs, and some of the people listening to this show, I'm sure, is they're tremendously independent or they wouldn't have even attempted to launch whatever it is that they've launched. Right. Just like you've launched your business twice over and I've launched several businesses. There's this independent spirit that require that's required in order to do it. But, but the paradox is that independent spirit can also kill you. Because yeah. if you don't bring in the top dog, you don't bring in the guy, you don't bring in the girl who can actually execute at a high level, you're never going to surpass your own abilities. And let's face it, you couldn't have built that landscape business by yourself. You can't cut the yards and do the landscape that 150 people did. You, could, you can't build software that it took three brains to figure out how to build that right. software. And now I'm sure there's dozens of people behind the scenes that are monitoring that software every day. And Because, you, what, you got 100,000 active users and thousands of daily daily transactions. So this poison of independence, we've got to be very careful for. So I'm thank you for pointing that out because I think the listeners can miss that. One of the um, one of the keys to success that I think shows up in every story and I, I hear very clearly in yours 
is this key of passion, that that is one of the preeminent keys to success is passion. And it's not just the emotional pass, passion like most people think about. Because I bet there were days when you were like, I, I hate lawnmowers, I hate grass, I don't ever want to, and probably software too, right? <laughs> like I don't ever want to see another line of code in my entire life. I just want to go back to Columbia and sit on the beach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but the passion is, yeah, sure, there's emotion. And if you're emotionally connected, that's a, that's a benefit, it's a bonus. But the passion really is about your willingness to endure. It's a mental thing. And I heard in your story the days you talked about early on in the days that you had to work on the lawnmowers, you had to work on the trucks, you had to schedule things, you had to do stuff. And the same thing with the, the software, GreenPal, you know, losing 150 grand is nothing to wink at. Even if you are wealthy, it's still a lot of money that you've done. But it sounds to me, Brian, like passion was indeed a key to your success. Do you agree or disagree and why? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think there, there's, there has to be a fire in your belly to see this thing succeed. And, and you have to have that, and that's kind of table stakes. And I think the passion is, is, is not only passion, but I think it's purpose. I think, I think the, the purpose and, and why you're doing this and why it matters is what gets you through those, those really hard times. It's like, and there's a, there's a guy by the name of Donald Miller who wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. He actually lives here in Nashville. And in the, na- in the book, the book is about uh, to live an interesting life, you have to have an interesting storyline. And, and, and so he, he went, he did, he rode a bike from one, one part of the country to the, to the other. And like, he started realizing, okay, I got to do these things to create an interesting storyline in my life to have an interesting life. And I'm reading this book. And I'm like, man, this really makes sense. And I was able to like abstract it one layer, one layer forward and say, my business is the storyline to my life. It is the thing that causes me to live an interesting life. It is the thing that causes me to be faced with challenges and to do things I never would have done and to force me to learn things I never wanted to learn. So the business is kind of the storyline of your life. And I think if you can look at it that way, it kind of solves a lot of these problems of, okay, well, you know, I'm getting burnt out or, or I'm dealing with these, these angry customers or whatever. If you can really abstract it and say, okay, well, well, every story, like it has ups and downs. And if it didn't have those, it wouldn't be a very interesting story. And so like looking at business that way in terms of it's the storyline of your life, it's the thing that's lending purpose and to your life and causing it to be interesting. It can, it can see you through the five, 10 or 20 years. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Donald Miller because the eight bend marketing, who was a sponsor for this episode, they are one of the top story brand script marketing companies in the country. So the story brand concept, which you were referring to yeah. the, the Donald Miller wrote, even though you were referring to a different book, but he wrote this book called story brand. And it's about how you get your messaging, the words, right. To describe your story as a company, green pal has got a story. Your landscaping company has a story. My results university has a story. Energy lighting services has a story. Like all these companies have stories and eight bend, in my opinion, I'll plug them again. They're the sponsor after all, but they did a, the most phenomenal job of putting that story together in a succinct way for one of my clients I've ever seen anybody do. So I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a call back to that. So I love that you say that passion and purpose kind of go together. And you already talked about, you know, the people, you know, your dad was one of those important people in your life to help drive you. And that's another, I think knowing the right people is a key to success. Right place, right time is also a key to success. And you've talked about being in Middle Tennessee here. Like, where, where did you, you grew up in Hendersonville? Uh, Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. Yeah. So you grew up in Murfreesboro, yeah. and that's a booming, booming town right now. A lot of luck goes into entrepreneurship, and for me, that was a very lucky thing. Because yeah. if I had grown up just one town over, 
you know, maybe, you know, from people who aren't familiar with Middle Tennessee, one town over, maybe McMinnville or, or even further, you know, out into a rural area that didn't have the opportunities, who knows how my life not, how to, would have turned out. So being in a growing environment, I think, can, is something that any entrepreneur can do to kind of like reset and put themselves at least in an environment that's growing and that can help you unlock opportunities. Yeah, I think that where you are in the world has a lot to do with where you'll be able to go in the world. And so like for you, where you grew up in Murfreesboro presented an opportunity in the landscaping business that had you lived in, you know, like you said, McMinnville or another company or another, another city further away out in the country that that opportunity wouldn't have presented no. itself. Now that doesn't mean you can't be successful. It's just a different route. There's right. a different way to do it. The other, the other things like, so there's passion, there's being the right place, right time. There's knowing the right people and there's preparation. And I really think based on what you're telling me that your preparation of all those years mowing grass and dealing with customers and dealing with employees prepared you for green pal. I think in a way, unique way that no other person would be prepared for. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and looking back 20 years in business, one thing that's made sense to me is like looking at it almost like a video game, like like 10 levels and every level is different. Every level has its own uh, challenges and every level has its own things that you got to do to get through it. And and like uh, to your point, everything I've done is, is, is prepared me for this moment now. And like looking back and like, OK, the first level when I was first getting started, I just needed to make a thousand dollars a month. Do whatever you have to do to get through that level. The problem is a lot of entrepreneurs think about level eight, nine, and 10, they're worried about Bowser when they're on level one or two. And it's like, you don't even need to worry about any of that stuff. Like, you know, you don't need to, you just need another five or 10 grand a month in, in, in revenue. So whatever it takes to get that, let's, let's get that. And then we can use that revenue to, to get through level three and four. So like, and these aren't like a defined set of levels that I have. Like, it's not like some kind of system. This is like a metaphor, but, but really approaching business in that way of, okay, I just need to get started. I need to get in the game. What's level one look like? And I'm not going to worry about anything else until I get through level one. Throw up the flag and then get through level two. Oh, my gosh. So this story's full circle. You're sitting at 13 years old playing <laughs> Super Mario World on Nintendo trying to get through the levels. Your dad's like, hey, buddy, get out here and mow this grass. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. You know, I purposely have no video game console consoles in my house because all I would do is, is play them. So, uh, yeah, uh, video games, I grew up playing them, and that's how I kind of make sense of the world. I guess. Well, I love the analogy, and, and, and you know, the editors after this are probably going to use some of that because I think there's a good title in there about how Nintendo and uh, video games can teach you how to rule the world as an entrepreneur. I think <laughs> I love it. Level one, level two, and and I think good business coaches will do that too. Is that because so many entrepreneurs, a business coach will sit down with them and they'll go, okay, here you are today, and then here's where you want to be in the future, right. and they're mentally trying to bridge that gap on one step. No, there's a bunch of levels, and you can't get through the secret. There's no secret code that you could go from one right. level to the level 10. You got to go through it. The thing I see a lot too is a lot of entrepreneurs will use the excuse of, well, I can't start this business because I have no access to capital. Therefore, I can't get started. Therefore, I don't, you know, it's almost like an excuse. And it's like if you would just like back up a few levels and just start a business that's more accessible where you need no capital, home cleaning service, home remodeling service, grass cutting service, whatever, grind that for five years, put a couple hundred thousand in the bank, bingo. Now you've got a track record. You have a little bit of capital. That's something people will invest in. Well, that is exactly the last P, which is plan. And I, when I talk about the keys to success, it's, you know, there's passion, there's being in the right place, right time, knowing the right people, being prepared, which is preparation. But the last P I talk to people about, and I find out in everybody's story, is the plan. And I'm not talking about business plan, although that may or may not have played into people's success stories. But it's the ability or strategy to obtain and deploy capital, which is what you were just referring to. So what was your plan 
to get the capital required to start the landscaping empire that you started. And then I, th I think we all kind of know from the story now, the capital that started Green Pal was from the, from the landscaping company. So how, what was your plan to get the capital on the landscaping company? How'd you do that? Yeah, so for me, 20 years in business, looking back, one thing that's kind of kept me you know, on the right course is, is revenues being the best form of financing. So just making money, Living as cheaply as I could. I was a big, big Dave Ramsey fan, and and uh, you know, like listen to him on my headset mowing yards for like ten years, and so uh, that was beating in my head. Is really living very economically, and then every dime that you could get put back into the business. So funding the business off of its own capital, and 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 not you know like I don't I'm not so. Uh, bent on not taking on any debt as, as Dave is, but I think being scared of debt it can help because a lot of times, you know, when I was selling my company, a lot of my competitors were wanting to sell their businesses too. And you know, they might've had a $5 million business, but guess what? They also had $5 million in debt. And so they didn't really have anything to sell. Whereas when I sold my company, it was debt free. And so whatever I could sell it for was, was, was going to be the proceeds. And so that was one of the fundamentals of, of getting that business to a point where I could get it sold was building it debt free. So that said, like build, trying to build your business off of its own revenues to me is the best form of financing. And then once you really see a way you can break out, uh, raise capital, and, and, you, and, and it's like pouring gas on the fire. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get that inverted. They're like, I need capital to get started. Therefore, I can't start. I can't raise capital. I never get started. Yeah. So one of the plans could be not to go borrow money, get money, have money given to you, whatever, take on investors. Maybe it's take on a separate business just to get the capital to finance the thing you really want to do. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and if you really want it bad enough, you'll do that. Exactly. A lot of times people ask me, uh, well, how, how do I, uh, how do I know if I need to, if I can be an entrepreneur? Uh, how do I know I can be an entrepreneur? And I hate to be crass, but if you have to ask that question, then you're not ready yet because, because an entrepreneur is working on a thing nights and weekends. An entrepreneur can't stop thinking about the idea. An entrepreneur is coming, is, is getting up early on a Sunday morning before the kids get up to, to get an extra couple hours in on the project. They just do that automatically. And if you're not that passionate about the idea and you're not doing that by default, then you're not ready yet. Uh, I love it. I, I can't, I'm trying to think of the quote. Elon Musk had, was quoted as saying something about he was on Clubhouse or something and somebody said, well, what, what do you do about entrepreneurs who... What would he say? Something about how they get their feelings hurt or they need something. He's like, well, if that's how they feel. They don't, they're, they're not entrepreneurs. They probably don't need any, they don't need any help like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, to that, to that point, like an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is one of the most humbling things you can do with your life. I mean, the marketplace is a feedback machine. I mean, it can cause you to be a better, more humble person. That's one thing I love about it. It's just, it just causes you to be more wiser, sharper, smarter, and more humble. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do with your life, in my opinion. And then if, you, uh, if you're a listener and you want to figure out how to, to live a life where you can travel, if that's your thing, like Brian's is traveling, if you want to uh, start a nonprofit charity or if you want to dig wells in Africa or if you want to explore the Antarctica, or, you know, I don't know what you want to do, but build your business today with the things that Brian's talking about and figure out how you can make that happen. Don't just wake up seven, eight, nine, ten years into your business and go, uh-oh, like, now nah, I can't get away. I'm making yeah. good money. And that's the thing, too. I think money becomes this golden handcuff. Like, we, we think, okay, we, we're in the top 5% of income earners if yeah. you're over $250,000 a year. Most people don't realize yeah. that. But you're in the top five. Yeah. People don't know that it's top five. And if you're not making $250,000 as an entrepreneur, you're probably not doing it right. right. Because there, there's plenty of money out there. 
But if you want to move to that next level, million dollar a year earner, et cetera, or more and more build your net worth, you got to plan it. It's yep. not going to happen accidentally. Time is going to pass by anyway. Mm-hmm. You at least want to have that to show for the next five, 10 years. Yeah. It'll be gone before we know it. I mean, I, I look back and, and, you know, 20 years ago when I was mowing yards and working on lawnmowers and sharpening blades at five o'clock in the morning, it feels like yesterday. And I'm glad that I put that time in. I'm glad I learned how to do that. And also, I'm also very glad I learned to delegate that so where I can move on to the next level. And, uh, you know, the time is going to pass. You might as well start doing it now. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I think everybody should really pay attention to that. And, and because you should leverage the uh, uh, renewable resources, which is money, for non-renewable resources, which mm-hmm. is time. That's right. You know, if, you got, if you're trying to figure out how do I get more time in my life to do the things I want to do, leverage your money. Don't leverage the time for the money. Leverage the money for the time. And you will always be on the positive end of that equation. I couldn't have said it better. So as we end, as we kind of end our conversation, are there a couple of pieces of advice? Like, let's pretend there's that one guy right now. He's sitting in his car. He's got this concept. This idea is burning a hole in his brain. He wants to start this company. Or it's a girl. She's out jogging and she's running through her neighborhood right now. And she's thinking, I got this idea. I want to do this. What would you say? What's your pieces of advice? One or two things you say, this is what you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Step one, do less planning, do more doing. Get in the game because only when you're in the game can you win. So do whatever it takes to get in the game. Even if it's two or three hours a day at night, do whatever it takes to get started. Uh, less time planning uh, and try to reduce it down to something you can do. What uh, you know, One of my favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he talks about in that book is your circle of influence. This is the little, like, the little circle in your life that you can act in to get something done. And, and just focus on one or two or three things at a time and, and get started. Um, think small, but be ambitious. So, you know, we talked about a couple of dichotomies in entrepreneurship, and there's tons of them, you know. Like, do you, do you listen to feedback or do you go with your gut? Do you raise a bunch of money or do you bootstrap? Like, there's all kinds of dichotomies. And one of them is think small, do small, but be ambitious. And so, like, just get some stuff done, but have this big 5, 10, 15-year goal. That's some advice I wish somebody had given me, would have saved me two or three years of my, of my journey. And anybody listening to this that is on the sidelines, wants to get in the game, that's my advice for them. So the advice that you're giving is get in the game, is do it, get out there. And I think that's so great too, Brian, because I teach people that your ability to adapt will always outperform your ability to plan. So just don't worry about the plan. I mean, the plan's important, yeah. but that can't be your driving motiva- motivation. So if you're that lady out jogging right now and thinking about doing it, go do it. If right. you're that guy sitting in the car right now, go do it. You got to get in there. And the other thing I want to I want to do as we kind of conclude this uh, conversation is that you mentioned four books that are all phenomenal. There's one that I haven't read, the others I have, but you mentioned Built to Sell. So I think entrepreneurs, the average entrepreneur is going to read at least a book a month. They should read more than that if you want to be the uh, above average entrepreneur. You 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 mentioned Cashflow Quadrant, which is phenomenal. Uh, I think it's one of the top Probably the most one of the most pivotal books that whole Rich Dad series yeah, is is unbelievable. You've got to read that. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is probably the number one book on interpersonal relationships ever written, and I recommend it to everybody. And then the one that I haven't read is A Thousand Miles in a Million Years by Donald Miller. Although I'm familiar with his work, and he is in Nashville. And by the way, if any of his people are listening, I'd love to get him on the show. Let's just figure <laughs> out how to get Donald here right in, the, in the thing. But you you also mentioned earlier, and I want to point this out too, is that you said one of your values is always be helpful 
And I, I can see that in you because I can see it and how you're carrying on this conversation. And it's, it comes across. And I, I appreciate you being helpful to the listeners of The Root of All Success because I, I really think there's a lot of golden nuggets in the story that you just shared about how people can do that. So I want to thank you, Brian Clayton, for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to reach out and, yeah. and communicate? Yeah, so anybody wants to reach me, LinkedIn, I've been hanging out there a lot more lately. You can just hit me up there. Anybody listening to this doesn't want to waste time cutting your grass, just download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. All right, and it's GreenPal, G-R-E-E-N-P-A-L, just like it sounds. You That's can right. download that on iTunes or, or the App Store. You can download that, that on uh, Google Play. All right? That's right. Okay, good. Well, there you have it, folks. Just like we talk about on The Root of All Success every week is that there are these five keys to success that every successful entrepreneur is using to get where they're going. Whether they realized it or not, these things show up. Passion, right place, right time, knowing the right people, having the preparation, the preparedness, and the plan to make it happen, to uh, deploy those resources to make it happen. If you are an entrepreneur or a entrepreneur and you want to know the answer to the question, what are my chances of success? How can I succeed in the way that Brian Clayton succeeded? Can I succeed? Well, I've got something for you. There is the, a success assessment that I've designed. It's completely free. You can go take this assessment. It's only 17 questions. And the answers to those questions will be, get, you'll be given a, after you answer them, you'll be given a personalized report that shows you your probability of success as an entrepreneur based on how you answered those questions. And it goes through the five P's of passion and place and people and preparation and plan. And it actually takes you through those. And you could go take that assessment completely free at my website, therealjasonduncan.com slash success. So just go to therealjasonduncan.com slash success. There's a little video you can see me and it'll tell you a little bit about it. But then you click take the assessment, big orange button there on the screen, take the assessment. And as soon as you get finished, it's going to send you an email report. It's completely free. My gift to you as a listener to the root of all success. So make sure you tune in again next time when we talk with another very successful entrepreneur whose story will motivate you to achieve success on your own. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.